Welcome to the Boiled Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hi, Don. I'm Sam. Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, You've been behaving yourself, so you haven't been in the closet all this week. Well, you know, closets don't really work for me anymore. Closets are die. I know, I know. Clo- <laughs> closets a whole different thing if you're gay. You're out of the closet. <laughs> I kicked the doors off of that years ago. <laughs> well, uh, you know, this week we have a guest, Mariah. Hey, Mariah. Hi, Mariah. Glad you're here again. <laughs> there was a mishap. <laughs> there was a slight mishap, so we're recording again. It's the first time it's happened. We've recorded 12 episodes, and I was sitting down to edit it, and after after we record, one of the first things I do is adjust the sound, and then I make a backup. And I sat down to open up the file after we had recorded. I crossed my legs. My leg caught the wire to the external hard drive, which sent it sailing across the room, landing on the floor, and that was it. The whole thing was gone. Now, here's the thing. Mariah is a rugby player. (laughs) And rugby players, I happen to know, I've heard this, they eat their dead. (laughs) And Mariah also lifts weights. She's fit. She's strong. And she could kick my ass. But she has been very, very pleasant about this whole thing. Although I can only imagine what your first reaction was, at least in your head. <laughs> I wasn't upset at all. <laughs> I know what mine was, and since we can cuss on this, it was, well, shit. <laughs> well, I would hate, even though we cuss on this, I, I wouldn't want to broadcast the stream of obscenities that came out <laughs> when the hard drive hit the floor. And I'm glad you're back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> When was the last time you were boiled as an owl? Um, probably last week. Yes, last oh! week. Oh, my goodness. Picking up a chip tomorrow? <laughs> Monday? Is that what that means? Boiled owl? Bo- boiled as an owl, is a, that's a tanked. Yeah, that's one of those is lines a, from the big book where uh, it's, a, it's talking about some dude. The alcoholic would go out and get sober, and then like within a week or something, he'd be, again, he'd be boiled as an owl. Okay. So it's... Uh, a tippler, kind of being jug bitten, jug bitten. Yes. Oh, I have not been drunk since 2007. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, tell us about getting sober. What was that like for you? And it wasn't easy, but I don't think it's easy for most people. What was your situation? Well, I was a teenager at the time, and I was, I started using and drinking every day, and. Um, I couldn't live without it. Uh, every time I had periods of sobriety, I uh, would have extreme panic attacks. Um, it didn't matter where I was. I would. I remember falling out of my chair at school and um, uncontrollable panic attacks. Um, I've had panic attacks since getting sober, um, but these were these were bad. And um, I wanted. I didn't want to live. 
Um, I was just kind of waiting on an overdose or <laughs> drinking myself to death. Uh, that would have that was what I thought was relief then. Um, you were drugs and alcohol. You were using mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, and I, I was in a meeting the other day. And somebody was talking. They went on a rant, and it was hilarious. Uh, she said that she's so tired of people. Um, I guess calling drugs an outside issue because we were reading uh, Bill's story where it talked about him getting prescribed sedatives by the doctor, and then the next morning he's drinking and he's on sedatives, and she was like, "Here's proof." Yeah, that's right. That's right. Drugs are mentioned yeah. many times yeah. in the yeah. big book. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I, in my experience, I can't think of anyone who has exclusively alcohol, never used drugs. It's just not part of the culture. It's not the way it works. But I understand the what's the, the singleness of purpose. Singleness mm -hmm. of purpose. Yeah, we still need to talk about alcohol in the meetings because that's why people are coming to Alcoholics Anonymous mm -hmm. instead of going to NA or CMA or CA or, or any of the other satellite fellowships or, or whatever. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is about alcohol. Yeah, and I've had the experience of being at a, at a meeting, at the end of an AA meeting, and a guy came up to me at the end and said, well, the truth of the matter is, I don't want to drink. I want to go get some crack. And it was terrible because I've never used crack. That's not the, the route that I took. It's kind of more of an acid. I believe that. I totally believe that. <laughs> acid and marijuana but, and powdered cocaine. Well, you know, one of the best lines I've ever heard but, somebody share. Wait a second. I want, just wanted to say... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I want to hear that line, the best line. But the reason I felt bad was because I hadn't done it. And the and what works is identifying with someone else. I mean, I can hear when someone understands. When I first got sober, I could hear when somebody understood drinking. And it was different when I came to AA because these people had my number. They knew all about it. So best I could say is, you want to do, well, don't do that. Well, that doesn't have any depth and weight right exactly and so that best line that i ever heard that just it stands out for me uh is that uh this was in reference to uh to crystal meth anonymous where a friend is a member he, he said that you know today many years into his recovery i can go to any 12-step fellowship and hear strength and hope but i had to go to cma to hear my experience mm -hmm. And that's the truth for me today. I can go. I, I went to an NA meeting uh, this past week, and it was fantastic. But NA is not where I needed to go when I got sober. AA is where I needed to go because alcohol is what kicked my butt. Every drug I ever picked up, I was able to put down. Alcohol was putting me down. And so, um, but today, I can go to any 12-step fellowship, and I can hear the solution. I can hear the strength and the hope in that meeting, and sometimes some of my own experience. Is there an ice cream anonymous fellowship? Maybe OA. <laughs> That's the place that I need. <laughs> Maybe strawberries anonymous. Strawberries. Are now, strawberries would be okay. They're uh, in season now. So how does all that relate to to you and your drinking and your music? Strawberries. Uh, not strawberries, but... Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, as far as, like, singleness of purpose? Yeah, singleness of purpose and the way that you... What uh, your situation I, when you first came to okay. AA. 
Well, I went to treatment. It was a young people's treatment center, which there are not. Now, how did you go decide to go to treatment? I didn't. When you're under 18, you have parents that are like your legal guardians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Kicking and screaming. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, I remember I was wearing these two giant plastic bracelets. They were probably like two inches wide. So I had like four inches of bracelets on my left wrist. I tried to jump out of the car. And my mom grabbed me by these bracelets and had bruises on my arm from them because I was opening the car door and she just cra- and my mom's small. My mom is very very small. That you were re- you were really going to jump out. Oh yes. So yeah, I is, did not want to go. That's wow. literally yeah. kicking and screaming. Yes, that's going to any lengths. Yes. <laughs> not to get sober. <laughs> yes, I did not want to get sober. Um, I, you know, I, it's not that I didn't think I had a problem. I just didn't think I could live without alcohol and I didn't know what an alcoholic was or you know any of that I was just flying through life and petrified and scared and um, I had little direction or I I I was like filled with so much guilt and shame and um, I I lies and I just was like a um, ready to bust and that's pretty much what happened my last three months of drinking were just awful I mean, I was I was living with a 27-year-old. I was 14 years old. Um, you know, he was providing me whatever the hell I wanted. You know, and I, and I look back at that now, and I see 14-year-olds, and I'm like, God, they're kids. You know, I'm, I'm 25 now, mm-hmm. and, and I see these little babies. And, you know, and I coach, like, uh, college-age women, and I see 18-year-olds, and I'm like, God, you're still so young. And, so that's been, that was really, really hard for me to come to terms with when I got sober. And I had a hard time in treatment being honest about any of this stuff because I don't, I didn't want anybody finding out. So it took me a long time to be honest about that. Why in treatment? Did you not feel safe? No, no. I didn't feel safe for a long time. I, I remember when I got into AA, I only ever talked to my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't ever, I couldn't look you in the eye, you know, and the big book makes a reference to being able to look people in the eye after your fifth step. And that's definitely true for me. Um, but I did not trust anybody. Um, and you know, a, a treatment center for people that are not yet legal age is different than a treatment center where most of the people are, are, you know, either choosing to be there or once maybe decided, had like a clear thought to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people sent their kids there for behavioral issues. It wasn't necessarily um, singleness of purpose. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you were really just kind of thrown in with mm-hmm. a, 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 a gamut a mishmash, of issues. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was really hard. So um, you didn't have really an incentive to open up. No. That well, you didn't have, it sounds like you didn't have peers who were going through the same thing so no, much to open up with no. as well. And it was, and it was a really dark spot for me. Um, and eventually one of the counselors was in recovery and he shared my story with me, what he shared his story with me. And I remember just crying the whole time because I was so happy that I wasn't like alone in this world. Um, but still, I just, I never really found somebody to open up to. And then I think when I did start opening up to people, 
it was just hard. And it was probably hard for all those kids. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that were in that program that have died. And, I mean, that's the nature of this disease, though. I don't think it's because of that program or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, but it was just a bunch of teenagers with little guidance and little, you know, self-knowledge. And, um, you know, I definitely prayed. I did do that. I didn't really have a relationship with a higher power, I don't think. Not compared to what I have today. Certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I still have panic attacks and anxiety. Did you have a hard time coming to the place where you were willing to pray? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I was really ready to do whatever it took um, because I was in so much pain. And When did when did that kick in, though? Willing, willingness to do whatever it took? Cause, I mean, so you were forced into treatment, so you absolutely yeah. don't want this. And at some point, you you found that willingness. Well, I got sober, and I think I stayed sober for like two weeks, and then it was an outpatient program, and we had like meetings at night, but it was just like our meetings. It wasn't a meetings, and then on the weekends, we like did functions and stuff, so you were pretty much with these people all the time, but I was still like using and stuff, and um, I was keeping it a secret, and I mean, I was like, snorting Adderall in the bathroom <laughs> like that's you know. a secret <laughs> <laughs> um, like I remember I took this one girl girl's car I told her I had a doctor's appointment I went and bought drugs and you know it, it was just I just wasn't ready to quit and then shit kind of hit the fan and we we got found out and I remember my last drunk I was drinking like um, what is it called some kind of pear, cheap pear vodka, and I couldn't get drunk, you know. And, and I and I know so wow. many people's experience that that have told me that exact same thing. And I remember, like, I was physically really sloppy and drunk. I remember stepping in a plant and knocking it over, and the next morning my room was a mess. But like my my thoughts never stopped. You touched on that earlier when you talked about your um, um, anxiety attacks mm-hmm. and that the alcohol and drugs helped you. Mm-hmm get through those and now just you you said that you know you didn't feel drunk you you -hmm. you were sloppy drunk but your brain (laughs) was still going Mm -hmm. um and for me that i was always looking for that temporary oblivion Mm -hmm. that that when i heard first heard that phrase i i still get chills temporary oblivion is what i wanted Mm -hmm. because that let the world stop Mm -hmm. so to speak it felt like i got a breath yeah. And it's what I'm hearing is that you didn't get that temporary oblivion at the end. Or quit working. Yeah. And, and I mean, it did. It just, um, you know, and, and the counselors found out, and it was either you got it, you're kicked out. So your last drunk was in tr- in the treatment center. I, I didn't live there. Oh. I was living um, with this girl in the treatment center. It wasn't inpatient. It I was see. outpatient. I was staying with a girl in the program because my parents were still using and drinking which my mom actually just tried to get sober here recently. but So it wasn't really safe to be at home either for me at that point in time because there was just drugs everywhere. <laughs> Yet she was the one who took you to treatment. She was, yeah. yeah. But I was very angry about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's unfair. Mm-hmm. That was very hypocritical. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, you know, I did have a friend whose drug dealer took him to treatment. So, you know, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
Well, it must have been, but you were young, so young, mm -hmm. even though you were had gotten to the place that you were drinking and not getting relief, you got to the place where alcohol wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. It's, how, how did you deal with that? What, and I would think that that would be part of, like, if you go into AA, being the youngest person in the rooms would not be conductive towards opening up and sharing your story and being open with everyone just because everybody's so much older than you. Um, yeah, and I think it's changed a lot here recently because there's a lot of more there's a lot more teenagers in in the rooms. There was like there was not teenagers when I got sober. Like there was maybe a few. There was early twenties, but not like you're still in your parents' care kind of thing. <laughs> and and real quick because of you bringing that up, young people in AA, young people who are listening to this, check out YPAA. Young people in AA, they're fantastic. Um, groups of, of teenagers mm -hmm. and 20-somethings own up to however old you mm -hmm. can still learn something, but <laughs> lots and lots of energy and fun. Yeah. Young people in AA. Yeah. So, I mean, when I got out of the treatment center, I, I found somebody that, I think she was maybe 20 at the time, and she became my sponsor, and she had, she got sober when she was 16, and right off the bat, I don't know if she just, maybe it's just God, but right off the bat, I was just lost, confused, had no, you know, sobriety under my belt, no recovery. Um, but I did not want to go back to the hell that I was living in. Um, I just, I didn't want that. I wanted to live and, um, which was very rare for me, <laughs> um, which is, which kind of sucks. But Yeah, ter terrible, <laughs> but true. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I met my sponsor. And she was so honest with me about her past, and she just really put her dirty laundry out there for me. And it made me, for like the first time ever, feel comfortable kind of opening that door to what I had been through and uh, my fears and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and still today, I, I, you know, my sponsor is just, it's not the same sponsor that I have, but I have really got to trust my sponsor, um, you know, and, and how I've, and how I sponsor is, is a re reflection of that is I'm very open and honest with my sponsees about what I've been through and what I'm going through right now. You know, like I tell them if, if things are shitty or <laughs> cause I, like I needed that and mm -hmm. I didn't need to see somebody that had it all together and you know, that kind of thing. It, the most powerful thing with a sponsor is seeing seeing someone working the program on their own life mm -hmm. and kind of leading by example. That's yeah, what it really absolutely. is. I remember the first time I was having lunch with my sponsor and his sponsor. His sponsor had been sober forever, like 15 years. <laughs> and we were having lunch and he was talking about a deal that he was working. He was really pissed off at this guy he was working out a business deal with. And he said, you know, I was talking to him and he, he said to me, you know what? No, I was wrong. I'm wrong. I was completely <laughs> wrong. I'm going to have to fix this. And I was going, what in the world Isn't just that a great example? Yes. Somebody just in the, some guy changes his mind in the mid-speech and decides he's wrong and admits it. Mm -hmm. 
and then talks about going and fixing. So that made the biggest impression on me. Absolutely, to to witness something like that. Um, and and I'm in a situation now where I'm getting to know a new sponsor, and he's getting to know me, and it's a um, it's a really unique thing that two people who virtually don't know each other in in this case, uh, and we are talking about anything and everything about our past, about what's going on right now, just getting to know each other with no walls up, and that's a weird place to be. Because that's not normal for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that is that's that is the path to recovery. Exactly, that's is, what works. Which is where you were with all of a sudden being honest with with a sponsor mm-hmm. and opening up, yeah. and, and her opening up with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, both ways. I could not have I could not have been as honest with her if she had not been as honest with me. I don't think. Um, so I was really lucky to to find her and you know have my higher power put her in my life because she just, I mean, really, like, people that I got sober with, like, I I cried probably every day. I was I was miserable. I just, you know, I'm, I'm an emotional person, and my brain just never shut up then. It does, it does today. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't, I'm not. You're haunted. lucky. <laughs> yeah, I'm not haunted as much as I used to be, I guess. And we just dove right into the steps, and she we read through the big book, and we had a dictionary on the table. After the steps, we went into the traditions, and after the traditions, we went into the concepts. Wow. Um, and she was really, she was hardcore. What was that like reading with her? Did you feel, sometimes like when I'm reading, there's a, a sense, actually, I can read. Why do I need to sit here and read this with someone else? See, I didn't have that at all because I had, like, I was a teenager. Yeah. You know, I had a, a teenage reading level. I'd missed, you know, some years of school, and I didn't know what they were saying at all. Like, I need, you know oh, how they wow, have, yeah. like, children's Bibles? I needed, like, a children's big book with, like, pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Lurid I, color illustrations. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, well, but seriously, I mean, we're talking about a book that was written in the mm-hmm, 1930s. Mm-hmm. Your your average person today, anyway, yeah. needs someone to take them yeah. through it because That's of the, 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 the language yeah. of the time. It's archaic. Yeah. It is. And I, and I would have not known what the hell the book was saying without my sponsor sitting right there. And any time there was a word we had any doubt about, we looked it up. Excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic, and I had sponsee sisters, and we would all read together sometimes. That was really nice to to have that, but I couldn't have gone through the book by myself, I, and I love big book studies today. I mean, our home group is a big book study. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and it's, and, and I just, I really, I, I, I can't comprehend things like that on my own, and that's kind of how the big book is, you mm-hmm. know, it's not a... A short story or anything like that. Right. It's a textbook. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's a textbook. How to stay sober. And one of the things, I, I when I first got sober, um, I, I did a small um, group uh, workbook study with some friends. And we ordered some workbooks that were built around the big book. And the cool thing that one of the very, the first one said, described the big book as a text. 
It's not a book that you just open anywhere and read and get something out <laughs> yeah. of. It takes a concept and you get that. And then the next one builds on the previous one and continues and continues and continues. Mm -hmm. And that's how we, I mean, obviously the steps are in order for a reason and they're written through the book in the same way. But I love that simple explanation that this is something that you start at the very beginning because you have to build on what you've learned. Mm -hmm. It's a how-to book. Yeah. How you can't build a birdhouse when you turn to page 50 to start. I mean, you got to start <laughs> on page one. <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what's something, uh, one of the steps, one of your experiences first coming to the steps that was uh, like a, a epiphany? Mm. Um, well, I tried to avoid my amends for a really long time and I almost got drunk over it. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. powerful that uh, happens yeah I was I did not want to make some amends and then when I got to the point where it was either make these amends or get drunk I finally started working on the amends and and, and at this point I moved to another city and started college when I was um, in the midst of like like right after my fifth step and um, you know it's funny because in one of the so you changed sponsors maybe. no no uh. this is this is this is the interesting part um i don't know if it's in one of the prefaces or it's towards the beginning of the big book it's it talks about how um modem to modem you know they've mm -hmm. added that little line and and we skyped we skype met and we continued reading through the big book and working the steps um cool yeah so that was always interesting um but yeah, I got really lazy on my amends. I started school. I was living in another city. But how did you identify that it was not making amends or you're gonna get drunk? I don't know. I think maybe I just had one of those like intuitive thoughts from my higher power. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I really was avoiding a lot of stuff because I was afraid and I was afraid to be honest about being afraid to make those amends. You know, today, when I'm not ready to make an amends, I can pray for the willingness, you know? And I don't necessarily have to put myself to the point where like, I, I'm gonna drink or, you know, I'm gonna make these amends, but. Is, was there any amend that is appropriate to share what the experience was? Because the amends, after having made amends, if a few, it became easier for me to do because I saw, one, I got the results of what happens yeah. with making amends is that I don't have to walk around mm -hmm. carrying the shame or, or that I felt towards the person. Yeah. Well, you know, and I don't think that I had right motives in the beginning when I was making amends to some people. So I would come out of those amends really frustrated. And hmm. yeah, It's not just about saying I'm sorry. Yeah. Or, like I, I wanted those people to see how well I was doing. <laughs> rather than yeah. for, for you to, to, yeah. to clear up, to clean up, to, uh -huh. to repair, make amends yeah. with them for what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a definition, one of the definitions. What? I feel like to look up the definition of amends. Well, all of our phones are off, Don, because we okay. do <laughs> except for Don's. <laughs> he was the one that made that rule. Um, <laughs> so very often... Uh, something called the promises are read in, in AA meetings to start them off or maybe to end them. 
but rarely do I hear them uh, referred to as the ninth step promises. Mm -hmm. They're on pages 83 and 84 of the big book. Mm -hmm. And one of the cool phrases, I mean, it's a, it's a nice long list of really cool results that we get. And it says that before we are halfway through, before we are halfway through what? Before we're halfway through the ninth step. And so my experience was that, you know, I did the eighth step and I became willing to make amends to all of the people that I had on that list. And then in the ninth step, I started doing it. And what do you know? After, like you said, the first one, I had some results. After the first few, I had this incredible feeling where I could look anybody in the eye. I was not trying to avoid anybody. It's the gold. It's the real gold. Of Absolutely. The it was amazing. Because I changed the way I feel about myself from doing yeah. that. Mm -hmm. What's the amends, Don? Amends. This, this is why it's different than, than what I originally thought it was before I ever read this, but to alter, modify, rephrase, or add to. That was the definition that I like to, that I believe that amends meant to remove. But the part that really gets me is to add to. So it's not just saying I'm sorry, but my behavior needs to repair the relationship yeah. to the best of my ability. Yeah. So I struggled with that. And my, I didn't know, I guess, what motives were at that point in time, but I definitely had all the wrong motives. But I just was very unaware of it. How old were you at that? I was 18, so yeah, I didn't want to contact these people, and the amends I had made just left me frustrated and feeling icky. <laughs> Until I was ready, I didn't do them. And um, what does ready mean? Well, for me, it was until I it was either go drink or make these amends. <laughs> um, but you said you had made amends before, so something was different about the amends you made after that point. Well, I, because they left you feeling icky. That was yeah. not a, that was not working. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely it. wanted to to right my wrongs. And I and I remember when I finally got willing, it was like I knocked out like ten, like 10 amends in one day. I mean, I wrote my letters, I made my phone calls, I set up my appointments. Like, oh, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to drag this out yeah. over years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have a really interesting one with an ex-boyfriend of mine. I ended up blaming a lot of drugs on him. We got pulled over by the police, and he kind of took the fall for it. They're my drugs. You know, and I had felt guilty for that for a long, long time. And I called him, and I tried to make amends to him, and he was so mean to me. And um, and I, I said, okay, well, you know, I would like to pay you for the court cost, all this stuff. You know, I don't want anything from you. You know, just don't call me. I said, okay. But then he would call me randomly and just talk to me and, like, just want to have, like, a short little conversation. Huh. And it was so strange. And it went on probably for, like, uh, a year and a half. I would get these phone calls, and um, and then finally one day he called me. He said that he was being evicted and he needed money. I said, "Okay, well, a Western Union you this money that I want to give you," um, and I did, and I haven't heard from you since. <laughs> so that was really an amazing experience. I get that big time. Yeah. I mean, you 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 opened up the conversation to allow him to get comfortable with mm -hmm. you again to mm -hmm. where he could ask for what he needed. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
I made an amend that wasn't well received by the other person. Clearly, the other person still held me in great disdain. <laughs> Obviously, unearned, of course. And in my opinion, he did more to me than I did to him. But we put that aside. But his part was not what the amends was about. Yeah. It took me years to come to the place. Because you said, Sam, that you became willing to make amends and then made all your amends. For me, it was like certain people I became willing, but other people I wasn't willing. Mm -hmm. And it took, a, and in this instance, it took a couple of, it, well, it took a year of writing out the amends and writing out my part, reading it to my sponsor, and my sponsor going, mm -hmm. what's this little this little dig here about him. <laughs> this is not yeah. uh, this is not your part. We're not talking about his part. I have to rewrite it and pray about it and do it again. I finally made the amends. He still held me in disdain. Over time, over the years, it got better and better. When I would see him, he would be better. And I saw him recently, and we had a cup of coffee together, which... I mean, the relationship was healed, and we were bitter enemies. Mm. So it's an incredible, it's an incredible thing. I, that's why I say that it's the gold of the steps is and making amends. Yeah, because, I totally get the gold because this is some situation that just to, it used to eat me alive. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to point out too, though, that um, that getting the relationship back is not what I'm going into making the amends right. for. Mm -hmm. um, because in some of the amends that I've done, I didn't want that relationship back anyway. Um, I, you know, We needed to not be in each other's lives, but we need, I needed to clean things up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are some people, well, frankly, there are some people in this world that are assholes. <laughs> I've been an asshole to them, and I need to clean up my part of it. Right. But that doesn't mean that I want to be besties with them. Yeah, that doesn't mean they're not an Exactly, um, and uh, and so you know, I, I distinctly remember that uh, that there was this one uh, person that uh, was a part of my uh, teenage years, and we did not part well. Um, she was in her thirties when I was in my teens, and uh, and I saw her in in my thirties when I was in recovery and making those amends, and we had a brief and pleasant exchange that cleaned up the relationship but we were not connected anymore. And the gift of that too was that she died a few years later. And I didn't have this thing on my soul yeah. saying, God, I wish I'd cleaned that yeah. up. And it was and clean, it was cleaned up. It was, it was cleaned, cleaned up. up by that and you could let it go. And Mariah, with you, the, this guy, you were able to make amends in a, in a way that worked out in a totally differently than you would have planned <laughs> yes. over a period of time, you, you know, and then it's cleaned up. It's a beautiful thing. And I love that you knocked out so many so quickly, too. I mean, we do not have to drag this no. out. Dragging it out doesn't serve anyone. You know, I'm not going to bulldoze my way through making amends. You know, I mean, if, no. if the roadblocks are being put up, higher power is kind of saying, you know, mm -hmm. stop, Sam. Yeah. you got to be ready with each and, one. And but. there were some people that never contacted me back. But mm -hmm. I know that that I had done what I needed to do. And, and I think that a lot of humility was involved with it. And also, finally, having faith in a higher power 
that everything was going to work out however it was supposed to be, and it didn't matter what I wanted. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, what is so? What is sobriety like for you now? Uh, we t- we talk about working the program. How are you working your program? Well, it's it's been so different here recently. Um, a lot has changed in my life. I've been having to recover from some other things that I have experienced, some childhood trauma, some codependency, a lot of things that have stopped me from growing, not necessarily having anything to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it might be peeling the onion. It is. It's peeling the onion. And I'm looking at recovery in a completely different way, in a more um, roundabout way way and I'm not saying that me just being an AA like I'm not knocking that I'm not knocking that at all I I have a hard time saying trying to explain this because I'm kind of still in the middle of it so I haven't gotten the wording right um you know right now I'm just in the middle of working through a lot of stuff I don't know can I say what other fellowships I've been going to sure Mm -hmm. okay um I don't I don't know um yeah this isn't an AA meeting I know (laughs) Yeah, I know. We're just I sitting just, around talking yeah. about that. <laughs> um, but I, it can feel like there's. Yeah. We're, we're going to bleep them all out. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been going to um, Adult Children of Alcoholics, mm-hmm. um, Al Anon. I, I went to Al Anon for a while. Yeah, and very good. And for me. I, I was working with a therapist as well, but she she fired me. She said that I didn't need her anymore. That I was just going to be an, that she was just going to be another on my calendar which I thought that was really interesting and I've never had a therapist like her she was very let's work this out and then you're gonna go and fly that's <laughs> great yeah I thought she she I love her she is fantastic so I'm just I'm in the middle of working through I guess being an adult child of an alcoholic and that's really really tough it's been tough trying to sort things out and looking at recovery in a completely different way, you know, like having all these icky, yucky feelings and then not necessarily like being because of my alcoholism, like, you know, like going to an AA meeting. I was, I've been having like trouble in AA meetings because I've been identifying other people's experience with my mom's experience instead of my own. Yeah. Um, And I don't want that. I want my AA meetings to be about me. So it's just, I've been put in this kind of different space and it's okay. You know, like I haven't, I don't think I'm like, I'm still an alcoholic, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) but you say you just needed to branch out in your recovery, but it's been so painful, (laughs) you know, it's been like, like really healing, but at the same time, it is so painful and you got to walk through the pain to get to the other side. And I just want to be on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, and I forget that like I've been sober for nine years now and it's taken me this long to get to the point in my recovery from alcoholism. I can't be where I want to be in this recovery, you know, overnight. And it's just, it's, it's extremely frustrating right now. Um, and it's, and it's, it's just hilarious to me to watch myself go through this when I've been in a 12-step fellowship. I know what powerlessness feels like. 
and I have no idea what the hell I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, apparently you're applying it to a different, yeah. different thing. But yeah. what, what's the likelihood that you would go through this, what you're going through right now, if you hadn't gotten sober? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would, I'd be, I'd, I know for a fact that I would be nowhere, you know, I, I would, if I was even, if I made it to 25, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've just got, I just got accepted into graduate school, so I'll, I'll be starting that in the fall. Awesome. And, um. Yeah, I just, I've really thrown myself into doing all these things that I've been terrified to do. And I was in a, in a really, um, I was in a relationship for a long time. And that's kind of what's got me looking at this. Not only just living with my alcoholic mom, but <laughs> I, I moved back in with her after I left this person. Um, but also like the codependency that was uh, in that relationship and the fact that there was no support, you know. I was not supported to grow and thrive, and um, and I see that now. Like it's 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 so obvious that because I you know I've, I'm out of this relationship and my life has just blossomed, and and my friends are supportive. The people that I have in my life are so supportive, you know, and and I try to be supportive of them, and that's what I you know the the whole sex ideal that the big book talks about. You know, it, it can be, I guess, with a romantic partner, but also I, I apply it to my friendships. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I really, really, know, like, have a better understanding of what I want in my relationships, to, you know, friendships and that kind of thing. And, um, and that's, that's just, it's blown me away because that's just not the person that I was six months ago. So what's the sex ideal? Every all, every listener's ears just perked up. <laughs> it's on page 69, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want me to yeah, explain yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about what this, this what, sex ideal is. Okay. What do you mean by that? And, and um, how are you applying that to friendships as well and not just to sexual yeah. partners? Well, when you do the, the fourth step and the fifth step afterwards, I, I wrote a sex ideal. And um, it's basically a list of qualities that or ideals that I would like to have in a partner or a friend um, or anyone in my life, you know. Uh, but for a long time, they've been extremely generic. They meant nothing to me. Um, and, and it might be, be, I don't know. I don't know if other people really had meaningful sex ideals as soon as they wrote one. But I didn't know what the hell I wanted. I didn't know what was right for me or or what was bad for me, you know, as a person, as a human being, um, and what I needed from people. Uh, You're talking about becoming intentional in your life with your yes, relationships. Yes, and, yes being, and getting what you yeah. want out of life mm-hmm. by yeah. it. Yeah, making more deliberate decisions. Mm-hmm. And there's something more to that, too, because uh, some of the phrasing in, about that in the big book is that we, to paraphrase, is to, we asked God to mold our sex ideals mm-hmm. and so you know i'm thinking and, and i've got this vision here's this lump of clay mm-hmm. it's like okay here are my sex ideals mm-hmm. and over time that lump of clay is molded into what it should be yeah and that's something that my higher power helps me do yeah into who i want to be and who i want to be with other people and the kind of people i want to be with mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't have to be around people that are 
poisonous to me, <laughs> toxic yeah, to me. Yeah. And it is, an, it's an odd thing that, uh, I mean, I love that the, uh, the big book so frankly talks about sex in places yeah. because it's something that we get giggly about. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, we're uncomfortable talking about in our society. But it is an odd thing that, yes, it is about sex mm-hmm. and it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think that that's not brought up all that often. I don't hear it all that often mm-hmm. in meetings when we get to that section in particular because people just want to fly through it. <laughs> but that this really is talking about relationships. Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought up that this is, you know, this is for your friendships as well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a big deal. Um, Not sex with friends, relationships yeah, with friends. Yeah. <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah, it's just been, I don't know, I'm just so grateful to finally get to a point where I don't have to please other people or mold my life around what other people want or what I think other people want. Mostly it's what Ooh, I think other people yeah, want. yeah, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah, so that's it's right. just, it's been terrifying and completely uncomfortable, but I can't stop. I just have continued to dive deep into this discomfort. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, because it's so easy yeah. to stop and set up this little comfort of, you know, yeah. what is it? Uh, decorate your rut. That's mm-hmm. right. Decorating your rut. And and turning it into this, this discomfort place into something comfortable seeming, but it's not really. But actually being but blind. But you're moving on through it. That's great. I love, too, that you brought up Al-Anon. Um, because one of the things that, um, Al-Anon is not the fellowship for me, at least not yet. Um, I've been to, I don't know, maybe a dozen meetings over the years, but one of the things that I absolutely get something out of is listening to Al-Anon speaker tapes mm-hmm. or podcasts, that, that type of thing, recordings of Al-Anon talks, mm-hmm. because I get the whole story and I do find that I identify. And if your experience is like mine, you got a shit ton of friends who are alcoholics, <laughs> So having a little Al-Anon under your belt is really useful for having relationships with alcoholics. (laughs) When you have uh, an alcoholic in your family, when I was going to Al-Anon, what I learned that I didn't realize, and I identify with what you said, Mariah, about you've had the experience of being powerless in AA, but now you're powerless in, in, in a whole different way. I was completely comfortable with being powerless over my drinking. But it was driving me crazy because I was not powerless over someone else's drinking. Uh, my, my brother was drinking and just having a terrible time. And I was like, I've got the answer. All you have to do. And it's like, I don't want to hear that. You know, yeah. it didn't. And I had no control over it. And it was eating me alive mm-hmm. and I started going to Al-Anon and and learned that but it was hard mm-hmm. to be powerless over his drinking yeah. Yeah. Ryan thanks for diving deep <laughs> with us here <laughs> absolutely here today keep diving <laughs> okay <laughs> I'll try <laughs> thanks for having me it's time for our old timers question from a listener. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die, no matter how long you've been sober. 
It's still one day at a time, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. We don't have any questions yet, so we're making them up. And here we go with Joey from Davenport, North Carolina, asking, If pot becomes legal, can I smoke it? What say you, you old fart? I mean, old timer. <laughs> Who are you calling an old fart? The old fart was smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Captain Beefheart line. You're going to educate you know me on that, something else now, know, too, aren't you? You know his music. Maybe I'll play a little bit of Captain Beefheart right now. The old fart was smart. The old gold cloth Madonna. Dancing to the fiddle and saw, he ran down behind the knoll and slipped on his wooden fish head. The mouth worked and snapped all the bees back to the bungalow. <laughs> Pot, it has become legal in some states. Mm -hmm. It's not in North Carolina, but it is. It is elsewhere, but it's exactly the same as it is with alcohol. Alcohol was legal. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that I can drink it successfully, and I can't smoke pot successfully. When I first got sober, been sober for three days, and I went into my studio. I'm an artist, and I was going to the studio to look at a stare at a blank canvas, <laughs> and. Um, I looked down my paint box and there was a little bag of pot there and I said, oh shit, I, <laughs> I can't smoke that either, can I? Or eat it. Be, or eat it. <laughs> or bake it. I hadn't really thought about it, but I it, it just came over me in a flood that every time I smoke pot, I get drunk. It's completely tied together. And it all came, with me, everything came down to alcohol. And anything else I used, it came to alcohol. So if I were, it just wasn't a, an option for me. So I had to give it up. We can go anywhere and we can do anything with alcohol being around us as long as we're working the program sober. That's been proven again and again. Mm -hmm. Same thing's true with pot. Just because pot's legal or available, does just because it's available doesn't mean I have to use it, you know? True that. However, I can go to a bar and not get drunk by being at the bar. Oh, you, yeah. But if I were to go to a pot cafe or something like that, I don't know that we've got those here yet, but I know no. like Amsterdam, they've got the, 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 the place. If I were to go to a, a place where there is actual smoking of pot going on, I probably ought to leave. Well, I didn't. I, <laughs> I went to a concert at Red Rocks in Colorado and saw Santana play. And Santana came out. There was a comedian first. Now... Red Rocks is an outdoor venue, and it is a natural, uh, natural amphitheater. And so there's carved steps all for seat. There's seating all around in an amphitheater down a little stage, and it was a beautiful night. You could see Denver, the city lights twinkling in the distance. Santana comes out and hits that first note. And you, it's iconic sound of that guitar, and a blue cloud rose up from <laughs> all around. 
it wasn't legal in Colorado yet, but that wasn't stopping the Santana <laughs> fans. And I was going, oh, no, because it was all around. But I, I didn't smoke any, and I tried not to breathe. And, <laughs> <laughs> and made it through the concert. I don't think I got high, but I was uh, very calm. <laughs> mellow maybe <laughs> don't harsh my mellow <laughs> i didn't i didn't leave but it, you know if if it if i had felt like that i was really getting gassed i i really might have changed the situation but it wasn't the case gotcha what about you mariah i lived in the netherlands for oh. eight months <laughs> oh yeah where they like, do have pot cafes yeah and um i was a little i was just a hour or so south from Amsterdam. We went to Amsterdam a lot. Um, I was studying over there at a university. and it's, That's an amazing thing you did in sobriety. I remember is. when you did yeah. that. Yeah, and I was terrified. Um, and I don't know why the hell, as a recovering alcoholic, I chose to go to the Netherlands. There's a lot more there besides pot. There is. <laughs> and I will, if you would like to talk about it, we can talk about it. <laughs> There's right. more there than waffles. Yes, but the waffles are great. The waffles are good. <laughs> yes. I remember waffles when I was... I love me some waffles. Stroke waffles. They're delicious. <laughs> so I got over there and instantly you just smell marijuana. And it never ends. Everything smells like marijuana. And I think, like, the fertilizer they use is, is like, straight cow poop because it also smells like manure in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's the marijuana. I don't know. Um, so, I just, I got so, people smoke it like cigarettes. It's insane. Like, there and there's bars in the university, like, um, like, in the cafeteria and stuff, there's bars. And it's just, it's very laid back. Like, having, like, smoking and joining is kind of like, a normal person, I guess, going out and having a beer after work. Um, okay. It's just, it's not looked at. And leisure and partying and stuff like that are not looked down upon like they are here in the U.S. They're just, it's so much more relaxed. We are very driven, we Americans. Yeah. So I, I loved it over there, but I did just get to a point where I stopped noticing it because I was so used to it. Um, and I did go to meetings over there. I found a really wonderful fellowship, and um, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. The meeting was, like, literally on my block. Oh, great. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Because <laughs> there was times when I really needed to did, get there. Do they speak English? No. Um, I mean, they do speak English, but the meetings were in Dutch. But at that point, you you know what they're saying. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole other yeah. hour of meetings abroad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You, you do. Um, and I had picked up a lot of Dutch, you, which I think you, you do when you live, live somewhere, sure. um, when you're seeing it every day. And I took a Dutch course as well. So um, so the pot wasn't a temptation? It wasn't a temptation. Maybe if I was not at the point, like if I had not been spiritually fit. Exactly the same with alcohol. Yeah. yeah. So. We can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can go to the most sordid places on mm -hmm. earth, provided our motives are pure. Yeah. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Yes, book. yes. And I knew when there were times when I could go out and maybe when there are times when I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and you paid attention to those. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. With alcohol. Yeah. Even the other night we were having a banquet for rugby and 
I'm, and it's like my body can sense it once my time there is done. You know, rugby's a huge drinking mm-hmm. sport. And they were going to start drinking blood. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm there for that part. <laughs> oh, you're there for yeah. that. Um, That's where you get yeah. your strength. Yeah. Once, once I see people getting messy, it's like my radar goes off, and I said, "Okay, my time here is done. Right. I'll see you lovelies later." Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's a fantastic thing to point out. It's when was, the party becomes about something. Yes. When the party becomes about the alcohol, yeah. the reason changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a a bar last Saturday. Uh, and I went solely to the, I met a bartender there that uh, I enjoyed chatting with. And I went early for the gay crowd. So I was there at 1030 and nobody was there. Um, <laughs> um, but I went specifically to chat with him mm-hmm. and I had a fantastic time. And then I left at 1130 mm-hmm. because the bar started getting yeah. busy and it was like the reason for being there was over Yeah, and I was done. Mm-hmm. And I love that we can hear that today and actually act on it. That's great. Mariah, thanks for joining us on The Boiled Owl. Thanks so much for having me. Glad you were back. (laughs) (laughs) Again. Thanks for joining us again. And as a consolation prize, I'm going to give you a boiled egg. Oh, thank you. Is it an owl egg? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the website or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Okay, I'm saving it right now.